Hello and good morning and hello to everyone who's watching on YouTube. My name is Adam Curtis and it is a joy to be with you all here today. If you do have a Bible, then please do keep it open on, uh, on Hebrews chapter 5. Problem is coming up here, I closed my Bible. What a rookie mistake. <laughs> and as we come to God's uh, word, let us come in prayer. Oh, dearest God, Heavenly Father, will you help us today to be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock, who heard and believed everything that you said, so that when the storm came, his house was still standing. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So, so far in, in Hebrews, we've been seeing, seeing that our author, he has a great concern for this, this, this early church, this Hebrew church. He's concerned about the dreaded drift the dreaded drift, that they who've started so well and who are following the Lord Jesus and are on their way to be with him forever could, could drift away into nothingness. And the author has uh, been encouraging this early church to avoid drifting. They need to keep their eyes focused on the prize. They need to keep their eyes focused upon Jesus. And last week, we saw what this focusing on Jesus sort of looked like, and it was focusing on Jesus as our great high priest. And now, uh, today, the, the conversation in the letter sort of turns. And this part, it, it's starting not just by telling us to focus our eyes on Jesus, but it starts with some pretty strong, strong words from the author to this early church. Because this author, he's concerned about them. He's concerned about them, as, and as we hear these words, we realize he doesn't hold back his punches. And he tells them, at the beginning of our reading today, you guys are spiritual infants. You're spiritual infants. Look down with me at uh, verse 11. Sorry, verse 14. Um, yes, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the element, elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil." This early church are being spiritual infants. Because actually everyone in this early church are meant to be teachers. Everyone is meant to be a teacher within the church. We sometimes can assume that it's, it's those who have been trained to be teachers or those who are paid to be teachers who are given that responsibility. And in a, a corporate sort of public setting, that's perfectly true. But actually everyone in the, in the church has a responsibility, a joy to be a teacher. It's the job of, of those who are old in the faith to teach those who are new in the faith. It's the job of adults to teach children. It's the job of those who know the living Lord to teach those who don't. We all have this responsibility, this joy to be teachers. And yet this early church, they're spiritually infants because they're unable to teach. But this Hebrew church, it, it doesn't even understand the basics. 
And if it doesn't even understand the basics, then how is it ever going to be able to teach those who are younger or those who don't know or those who are new to the faith? Particularly, they're not acquainted with the teachings of righteousness, we read here. They're not acquainted with teachings of righteousness in verse 13. So these teachings of righteousness, well, they don't know how to make good decisions. They don't know what is the right path to take and what is the wrong path to take. They don't know what they're meant to be saying with their, with their lips. They don't know what they're meant to be doing with their time or with their money or with their energy. They don't know what they're meant to be doing with their bodies or how they're meant to be acting within relationships. They don't know the way that is ethically, morally right and good and joyful. They don't understand the teaching of righteousness and so they are unable to be teachers. This church, they're just spiritually infants. And and being an infant, obviously, is a good thing. We've all been infants at some point in life. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with being an infant. But everyone's got to grow up. Everyone's got to mature. Now, I don't know very much about feeding milk to to little baby infants. So I uh, looked on the NHS website, and they gave me some advice. A babe needs milk... um, exclusively, apparently, for the first six months of their life. And then from six months to sort of like two years, you can start, the, um, you can wean, start to wean them off milk onto solid food. And some, apparently, NHS told me, will find that quite an easy transition onto solid food. And some little babies will absolutely hate it. And maybe you've uh, experienced that hatred <laughs> as you've had to try and raise children or seen parents raise children. But it's the same for this little Hebrew church. They might not like being weaned onto solid food, but that's what they've got to do. They've got to mature. They've got to mature. Because everyone needs to move on to maturity. Every church needs to move on to maturity. Every Christian needs to move on to maturity. Look down 6 verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity. The basic teaching of the Christian faith, it is wonderful, it is glorious, and it is dangerous ever to forget teaching about repentance, teaching about sin, teaching about our need for a saviour. But we have to hold on to this teaching because it is our foundations on which we build. And on these foundations, we build up into maturity. We go on to maturity. We learn the ABC at primary school, and that is wonderful, and that is good, and we never want to forget our ABC. In fact, it will be slightly dangerous if we forget our letters. But we always then move on to forming those ABCs into words, forming those words into sentences, those sentences into paragraphs, those paragraphs into books. We move on from the ABC to Shakespeare and to Harry Potter and to the glories of English literature. This Hebrew church needs to move on to maturity. And this early church needs to hear the warning. It needs to hear the warning. And these words are heavy. Chapter 6, verse 4. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, If they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. 
because to their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. They've got to hear the warnings. And as we heard those heavy words, I wonder if a question might have popped up into your head. Like, well, can Christians fall away? Can Christians fall away? And we are going to think a little bit about that question in a moment. But before we do, just to allow us to follow the flow of what this part of God's word is saying to us, let us just hear the, the strength of these words. Because the dreaded drift is real. It's not an act of, of fiction or an act of imagination. The dreaded drift is real. If you drift away, if you reject the words of God, if you reject, reject the Son of God, if you choose to live an unrighteous life and choose just to go down that way and, and stay going down that way and don't return to the Lord, well, you can't return. The dreaded drift is real. And we've got to hear that warning. This Hebrew church has to hear that warning. So then we have to ask ourselves the question, okay, well, how am I doing? And, and can, can, we, can we fall away? And we've got to be real and say, well, we're all going to have moments of doubt. So I've had moments of doubt. I remember very vividly a time in my early 20s, a, a strong moment of doubt, which was, of very visual because I literally picked up my Bible and I threw it in the bin. We all have moments of, of doubt. But there is a difference between the struggle, between finding it hard to live a righteous life or not knowing what living a righteous life looks like, the struggle of that and, and apostasy. The, there's a difference between the struggle and the saying, no, I'm, I'm not following the Lord anymore, having nothing to do with him. There is a difference between I'm just finding it hard to live God's way to saying, oh, let's just chuck this all in. There is a difference between struggle and apostasy. And let's look down at um, chapter 3, verse 14. I'm aware it won't be on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, chapter 3, verse 14 says, We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. If we're holding on to the confidence that we had at Jesus Christ, then we will stand firm. If we're holding on to the confidence we have in Christ, then we will share in Christ the glories of the new creation. I believe this quote it originates from Vaughan Roberts, but I may be mistaken about that. But Vaughan said, the proof of past conversion is present convertedness. The proof of past conversion is present convertedness. I know that the, the claim I made that Jesus Christ was Lord when I was a teenager, I know that that is real. I know that as I'm holding on to Jesus, he, Jesus is holding on to me. Because right now, I am still following the Lord Jesus. Yet I can struggle, and yet I can doubt, and yet I can have questions in my mind, but I'm still walking with the Lord through those questions and through those doubts and through those struggles. The proof of past convertedness is present. Sorry, the proof, proof of past conversion 
is present convertedness. I'm still going with the Lord now. And maybe as you're sat there, you're like, you're worried. Well, am I a Christian or am I not a Christian? Well, I think the very fact you're worried probably means you don't have anything really to be worried about. Because if you're worried, then there, that means the Holy Spirit is working in your heart enough for you to care. And if you care, am I saved or am I not saved? It probably means you are saved. It's for the person who just doesn't care. Who says, oh, I just I've chucked it all in. I don't want to even think about the Lord. That's, that's the person who is more to be fearful of. We need to hear the warning. This early church needs to hear the warning. And the author gives us quite a vivid sort of picture of why that warning matters. Because you can have two fields and both can receive rain upon them. But these two fields can have a very different harvest, different crop. You walk into one orchard and you see tree after tree of beautiful apples. And it's like, oh, amazing, beautiful, wonderful, joyful. This is a great orchard. Let's keep it. And then you walk into another field of another orchard, but all the trees are dead and dry and rotting, and there's no, there's no fruit upon them, and it hasn't been fruit for a long time. That orchard's not going to stay very long. It's like, oh, this is rubbish. We don't need this. Let's just bulldoze over this and plant something else. We need to hear the warning. And this Hebrew church, they need to hear the warning, and they're being encouraged. You've just got to keep going. You've got to keep going. Look at verse 9 and 10 with me. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. This church needs to keep going the, the early words, they're a warning, but they're not a declaration of judgment. They're a warning, they're not a declaration of judgment. Because this early church, it is doing okay. God is not unjust. The faith they have is a real faith. But they just need more of it. And they need to keep going in it. They need to move from this position of infancy into this position of maturity. Look down verse 11. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope, your hope sure. We do not want you to come lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. They've started the race, now they've got to finish the race. You don't get a medal if you drop out halfway through. You either finish it or you're lazy. There's the only two options available. And the author is encouraging this early church, you will finish the race if you imitate those who have gone before you, those of faith. And as we look at, at Hebrews, we're actually given plenty of people we're told to imitate. Hebrews tells us, imitate those people who taught you the faith. So look back. Look back in the history of your life. Who are the people who taught us the faith? Who taught us the glorious gospel? who shared that message with us. We were told, imitate those people. We're told to imitate those people who are older than us and wiser than us and who have actually already run through the gates of glory before us, those who have already made it. 
We're told to imitate the great pioneer of our faith, Jesus Christ himself, the great high priest, who is our forerunner, who's already in heaven. Imitate him. And we're told to imitate the great heroes of the Old Testament, the great heroes of faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We're in a race, and we've started the race. We're infants and we're moving on to maturity, but this race isn't over. We've got to keep running. We've got to keep going because we can see that finish line before us and now we've got to cross it. We either cross it or we fall out. We either cross it or we're lazy. There are no other options. So what is God saying to us today? Through these heavy words in Hebrews, what is God saying to us today through these words written 2,000 years ago? God is saying to us today, it is dangerous to be spiritually lazy. It is dangerous to be spiritually lazy. I feel those words. I feel those words in my heart. I feel those on my mind. It is dangerous to be spiritually lazy. I remember working in in another church, and um, a girl who we'll we'll call Daisy, this other church I worked in, in some ways it was, it was young and fun. So it had quite an appeal to it because it was young and fun. And this girl, Daisy, she joined the church and she was so excited to be a part of this, this young and fun sort of church. And she was so keen at first and she was at everything at first. But then slowly she just, her weekly attendance became monthly attendance and her monthly attendance became she just was never there at all. And now I just don't really know if she's anywhere. She's so keen. Well, I could tell you about a guy who, for argument's sake, we'll call Peter, who did Christianity Explored, no sort of Christian knowledge, did Christianity Explored, and loved Christianity Explored. And he started coming along to church, and he started reading his Bible, and he was so just enthralled by everything that he was hearing and reading. And he, was, he, he felt like he was running, and then it just all stopped. And we haven't really seen him since. It is dangerous to be spiritually lazy. It is dangerous to be spiritually lazy. And let's hear those words. And let's meditate upon that. But as we hear these words, and as we look at our own hearts and our own minds, let's not just wallow in, in doubt and despair, because there is good news. Hebrews gives us good news. For those who trust in the Lord Jesus, our hope is secure. Our hope is secure. And as we continue from verse 13 on to verse 20, we see this. And actually, the Lord God, he gives us two reasons to know that those who trust in the Lord Jesus, our hope is secure. And the first reason is God's unchanging purposes. See, God has promised that if we have faith in him, we will receive our inheritance. If we run the race and if we finish the, cross, the finish line, then we will receive our inheritance. And this promise is confirmed by the Lord with an oath. And because there is no one greater than the Lord, he makes this oath on himself. Our hope is secure because God has said it is secure. And there is no one greater. There is no one more trustworthy. 
There is no promise more secure. So our hope is secure because God has said it is. And so nothing's going to change that. And secondly, our hope is secure because Jesus has gone before us. Verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Our hope is secure because Jesus has gone before us. Our hope is a person. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, on our behalf, has entered the Holy of Holies, has entered the Holy Sanctuary. He's there. Our hope, it is an anchor. It is an anchor that is lodged within the Holy of Holies. It is lodged before our Holy Father. It is lodged in the sanctuary and it isn't going anywhere. For those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who have started running the race and are running the race and going to cross the finish line, we have nothing to fear and everything to live for. Because God's word is trustworthy and true and his purposes are unchanging and because Jesus Christ has gone before us, he is our anchor in the holy of holies. He's there already calling us, drawing us onwards. He's the one our eyes are fixed upon. He's the one we fix our thoughts upon. And the reality is, we can all think of men and women like Daisy and Peter. It's the tragedy of being in a church for longer than a month. We all know people who start but don't finish. But that's only ever half the story. That's only ever half the story. When we, because we are surrounded by people who are running the race now. And as we look back in our own past and history... We've been surrounded by people who have ran the race and have crossed the finish line before us. There are old saints who are worth imitating, who are worth following. I think of the, one of the early people who taught me the gospel, a beautiful woman, woman of the Lord called Gainer. Now, Gaina was one of these remarkable sort of ladies. She and her husband used to smuggle Bibles into communist Russia, and she used to lead the 11 to 14-year-old worker at my church when, when I was growing up, and she was amazing, and she was amazing because she spoke with such passion and conviction and drew us back to Jesus again and again and again, and she didn't mind rebuking our culture and our age, but she was also so remarkable because she was so loving. There wasn't a single person in this youth group who didn't feel just deeply loved by her. Gaina was just so remarkable. She had a passion for teaching. She had a passion for people. And like what I know of her life, because her son was a brilliant friend of mine, what I know of her life, it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always rosy. But she kept on running, and she's still running. And she's going to cross the finish line. And she's worth imitating. A woman who has passion for the Lord who will risk it all to take Bibles into communist Russia. She is worth imitating. A woman who has passion for people and shows all people, however annoying and spotty and ridiculous a teenager can be, and shows them love 
and care. A woman who has passion for God's word and wants those around her to know of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I look back in my life, I'm like, yeah, she is worth imitating. I want to imitate her. And the reality is, you will all have people in your life who it is worth imitating. People who have taught you the gospel, people who have shown you great love, people who have shown you great compassion, people who have done great acts of, of faith, who have given it all up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Imitate, oh dear, <laughs> imitate those people. The Lord has given us all people in our lives, so let us imitate these people and let us keep running the race until we've crossed the finish line because our hope is secure. It is based on God's unchanging purposes and it is based on the anchor, Jesus Christ himself, who has gone before us. Let us pray. Dearest God, we thank you for your word and for how it speaks powerfully into the reality of our situation, into the reality of our, our hearts and minds which struggle with, with faith in this secular age, struggle to know how to, to live rightly before you. But Father God, as we, as we come to you, sometimes with infant hearts, please, Father God, may we hear your word of rebuke and strive to mature. Strive to, to move on from the elementary teaching of, of your word into that which is richer and deeper. Help us, Father God, to keep our eyes and our minds fixed upon Jesus Christ and to keep running this race, no matter how different we may be from the world around us, no matter the cost. Please, Father God, bring to mind people who are worth imitating, men and women of such rich and courageous faith that it is worth following. And help us, Father God, to, to follow in their example. Thank you that you've sent Jesus. Thank you that he's our anchor and our hope. And we pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.